Amen. Thank you, James. Hey, you got a Bible with you? Say yes. And uh, let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Awesome testimony. Uh, some students are out sharing the Gospel, and somebody just prayed to receive Jesus. So that's pretty awesome, isn't it? So they decided they'd just stay out there and share some more. So uh, we encourage them to do that. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 24 through 35 will be our text tonight. So if you've got your Bible, you can stand with me now in honor of God's Word. Beginning in verse 24. Uh, the Bible says, when the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. This is Jesus speaking. He says, what would you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what would you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed, live in luxury, are found in royal palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold... I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Verse 28, I say to you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. So what then shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? Well, they're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say of him, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say to him, Behold, a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Let's pray together. Father, it's a great uh, privilege to be able to uh, take the Word of God and expound upon it, to uh, preach it. So I pray that you'd fill me with your Spirit and lead me by the Spirit of God to elevate the Son of God during this particular time. And God, as well, I pray that you continue to fashion us and mold us into your image as we follow you throughout the Gospel of Luke, learning how to better submit ourselves to your authority but also learning how we are to express the character and the nature that you displayed while you were here on the earth. And so, Father, I pray that we all would grow in our ability to love not only you, but also to love one another. And God, I pray as well that you would continue to grow us in our faith as we come to the end of ourselves so often as we spoke about this morning, uh, the brink where we genuinely have to trust in you. God, thank you. Uh, that you always remain faithful and that you care for your children. And God, I'm thankful that I can say that uh, with authenticity, understanding your grace, how you've ministered uh, to my life, to my family's life. And God, I pray tonight that you would invade the territory now and by your Spirit speak to our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. And you can be seated. So let me begin by asking you a question. What if you were baptized by John the Baptist? Uh, first of all, that would be a pretty sweet deal. Would you agree with that? It's like, John the Baptist, who baptized you? John the Baptist. However, how would you feel later if after you were baptized by John and told to follow Jesus the Messiah, and then you heard the conversation of John's disciples with Jesus? John was like, go double check with Jesus and make sure he's really the Messiah. Now, if John doubted Jesus, but John told me to follow Jesus, then I would be in doubt about the whole thing. 
Are y'all listening? Say yes. Someone comes to you and says, well, who told you to follow Jesus? And your answer is, John the Baptist did. John the Baptist, he isn't even sure if Jesus is the expected one. Well, John told me to follow Jesus because he was the Messiah. I'm just telling you what John said. He doesn't even know himself. You know, doubt would have spread like a, in a single moment, like gangrene. And so, how does Jesus tonight assure the gathered and now doubtful crowd in Luke's gospel in chapter 7? How does he assure them of John the Baptizer's ministry? He does so in two major ways. But first of all, Jesus affirms John as a promised prophet of God. Jesus, and this is huge, just because John experienced doubt doesn't mean that his relationship with God was destroyed. Here's a point for you to take home, and please listen closely. It's not on the screen here. But doubt may disturb our relationship with God, but doubt does not destroy our relationship with Him. See, Jesus sets forth an argument concerning John's ministry by using simple logic. What He's going to do in this text is pose a couple of questions which the crowd would have answered an absolute negative answer. They would have said, no, of course not, there's no way. Notice the two questions and the presupposed response of the crowds, beginning in verse 24. The Bible says, When the messengers of John had left, he began to speak to the crowds about John, asking, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Now, John's ministry occurred in the wilderness, which made him extremely unique. He didn't preach in the temple as others did, but simply preached out in the proverbial middle of nowhere. Jesus said, you didn't go to witness a reed shaken by the wind. A reed was just a long stalk or plant which swayed back and forth in accordance with the winds. Jesus was saying, you didn't go out to see a man who had no convictions, but was just blowing back and forth based upon the opinions of men. In other words, you didn't go out to see a man who had no spiritual backbone. He says, you went out to see, indeed, a person who was sent from the Lord. You know, Paul writes uh, to encourage us to have a spiritual backbone in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, in which he says to believers, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. So Jesus asked this question, which would have contained a negative response from the people, when he says, did you go out to see a man with no convictions? Their answer was quite simply, not hardly, of course not, we did not go out to see a man like that. Verse 25, but what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Those who are splendidly clothed and live in luxury are found in the royal palaces. Now, this is uh, quite an awesome concept here. The word soft, you might want to circle that. The word soft literally means effeminate. So Jesus is basically saying, would you go out in the wilderness to see a man dressed in sissy clothes? Did you go out to see a man dressed in Calvin Klein or Carhartt? I thought that was hilarious when I jotted it down for this sermon. But you gave me the courtesy laugh. God bless all of you for being here. <laughs> Jesus says, uh, if that is what you were looking for, you wouldn't have gone out to the wilderness. You would have gone to the royal palaces. And again, this question is posed in such a way for the people to respond, no, of course not. We didn't go out looking for a man in effeminate soft clothing. And now Jesus begins to zero in on what they did go into the wilderness to see. Verse 26, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. 
Now, Jesus reminds the crowd that they went to see a man who spoke on God's behalf in the wilderness, a man of conviction who was not shaken by personal opinions, a man sent from God who had a message for Israel. That's what they went out into the wilderness to see. But this Bible says, and this is huge, this man was more than just a prophet. Look at verse 27. This is the one about whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. So Jesus affirms the ministry of John by classifying him with the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets of Isaiah and Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 reads this way, Behold, God speaking, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. John the Baptist was not simply a prophet, but he was actually the appointed forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. One commentator notes John's ministry was a turning point in both the nation of Israel's history and in God's plan of redemption. Now, as Jesus speaks to this predominantly Jewish audience, they would know the exact promise of God concerning the great forerunner of the Messiah. Therefore, Jesus affirms that indeed John was God's spokesman. But not just a spokesman, he was actually the forerunner promised by God in the Old Testament. And so John the Baptist is thus considered, listen, the last of the Old Testament prophets. Verse 28. The Bible says, I say to you, among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Now, this speaks uh, not of his character or of his integrity, but rather his position. So John, this locust-eating, camel-wearing forerunner for Jesus, was given the greatest position of man uh, that had ever been born of a woman. And this, by the way, was a massive statement. However, Jesus goes further to apply truth to this listening crowd. Verse 28, he says, yet... He who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Did y'all catch this? So he's like John the Baptist. He's the greatest person to ever be born from a woman. Yet the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now how in the world is this possible? John was a herald of the coming king. Those of us who trust Jesus' death and resurrection as payment for our sins are children of the kingdom and friends to the king. God has granted his grace toward us that we might be positionally greater in the kingdom than the greatest person ever born among women. One commentator notes, citizens of the kingdom will be under the new covenant and have the law of God written on their hearts. Even the least person in the kingdom will have a greater spiritual capacity than John the Baptist himself. That's crazy. Are y'all out there say yes? Now that Jesus had affirmed the ministry of John the Baptist, now think about that. I don't want to leave that too quickly. Just think about that. John the Baptist came. Jesus is like, this is the greatest born among women. But you who are least in the kingdom, you will be greater. Those of us who are in the kingdom of God currently, remember John is like this uh, uh, changing door from Israel's history to God's redemptive plan. And so as he comes and prepares the way for Jesus, and then Jesus comes, and he comes and dies on the cross, he's buried, he's resurrected. What he's doing is he's dying, being buried and resurrected so that he can adopt us into his family as his own children. And so now when he brings us in as his own children, he gives us the spiritual capacity to know greater God's eternal purposes than even John the Baptist knew while he was here. That's wild. And uh, we're not even Jews. Y'all out there? Which makes it even greater. 
that God would do this to bring us, graft us in through the death of his son. So he affirms the ministry of John the Baptist, and even though John was experiencing his doubts, we're able to see response of the two uh, groups in the crowd. The first set of responders are in verse 29. It says, when all the people and the tax collectors heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Now, this just simply means they listened to Jesus' testimony of John and agreed, which acknowledged God's justice. The statement by Luke is given in a judicial sense, meaning that the people actually declared right what Jesus had said about John. In other words, although John was experiencing doubt concerning Jesus, his doubt did not negate the fact that he was a prophet sent to be the forerunner of Jesus. And then there's a second set of responders in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. Now, Jesus declares that these who rejected the ministry of John had actually, please listen, they had actually rejected the very purpose, plan, and the way of God. While one group declared Jesus to be right, the other continued to declare Jesus to be wrong. And that being said, we deduct the fact that if you acknowledge Jesus to be right, in this context, you had chosen to walk upon the road of God's plan for humanity. And that road included John the Baptist. But if you chose to declare Jesus to be wrong concerning John the Baptist, and that way you had chosen to walk upon your own road. And as the book of Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So bottom line is that Jesus affirmed the ministry of doubting John in efforts to encourage the doubting crowds. We, in essence, learned the same things uh, we did this morning. When in doubt, we refocus on the Word. We have faith in the character of God. Now, it's kind of wild as you begin to see some parallels of the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of the New Testament church. John the Baptist came as a forerunner to Christ who would come. Jesus has come. He's died, buried, he's resurrected, ascended into heaven. And now the Lord Jesus has given you and I as believers a mission to do what? Declare he's coming again. So we are helping prepare people to see Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, everybody's going to see Jesus. Everybody. Lost and saved. Everybody's seeing. Our goal is to help as many people see Jesus in his righteousness instead of holding on to their own way and being sent to hell for eternity. It's a big deal, by the way. That's a big deal, by the way. Time for y'all to get on board with me. Y'all all right? Now, it's kind of wild if you kind of picture it like this. Uh, when you got saved, you got on a bus. And I don't know why I picture stuff like this in my brain, but I do quite often. So I'm a bus driver. And so as I'm cruising on the bus, this bus is going to heaven. Y'all all right? And so the whole goal is to stuff as many people on the bus as possible. So I want to tell everybody, you need to be saved and come to Jesus. Get on the bus, man. Hey, listen, you're driving a bus too. Y'all out there? <laughs> Can I give you all point number two? I'm asking you, can I give you point number two? Come on, I know we're a lower crowd, but y'all can still talk to me, right? Point number two, y'all with me? God bless you. Jesus rebukes their childish behavior in this text. He rebukes their childish behavior. Verse 31, to what extent shall I compare? It's almost like Jesus is frustrated with these people. To what extent shall I compare the men of this generation? And what are they like? 
Here Jesus is classifying those who had rejected John as representative of the current generation. Those who trusted were few. And now Jesus unveils the comparison in verse 32. He says, they're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and they say, we played the flute for you. By the way, the flute was often used uh, in marriage ceremonies. So that was considered dancing music. Since we played the flute for you and you didn't dance, we sang a dirge. And that's songs that were sung during funeral processions. He says, and you didn't weep. So Jesus uses a parable here to make a point. Generation wouldn't dance when they heard the music of Jesus' life. Generation wouldn't weep when they heard the judgment of John's message. So we want nothing to do with that. <laughs> I think it's called a dirge. I said it loud and proud, did I not? It may be dirge. I don't know how you say that. Sorry. We do call it Tarjay, though, from Lula. Back to the text of Scripture before you get me off here. The point that Jesus is making is this generation doesn't accept John, nor does this generation accept me. Verse 33 and 34, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. Son of man, speaking of himself, Jesus says, has come eating and drinking. You say, behold, a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So there is the explanation of the parable by Jesus. He's saying, John came living this very aesthetic life, and you thought he was possessed. I came living a life that was not aesthetic, and you don't like me either. And then he says, you're like a bunch of childish men in this generation who find something wrong with everything and everybody except yourself. You're childish. Isn't that wild to consider? Verse 35, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Warren Wiersbe writes concerning this verse, people who want to avoid the truth about themselves can always find something in the preacher to criticize. This is when they, they justify themselves. But God's wisdom is not frustrated by the arguments of the, quote, wise and prudent. God's wisdom is demonstrated in the changed lives of those who believe. This is how true wisdom is justified. And one commentator states, corrupt human wisdom produces corrupt human deeds, such as the false accusations against John and Jesus. On the other hand, the righteous, divinely empowered wisdom of John and Jesus produced righteous deeds that resulted in repentance, forgiven sin, and redeemed lives. Now, throughout the centuries, the church's detractors have found it easy to criticize its people and its work, yet they are hard-pressed to explain how so many lives have been changed from wickedness to righteousness, despair to hope, anger to love, sadness to happiness, and from selfishness to self-giving by the power of Jesus Christ. Can't explain that. It's interesting, isn't it? He's speaking to this childish group. He's speaking about these who are criticizing John and criticizing himself and he says you are a bunch of children in this generation you think you know what's going on I don't God bless you I would say be uh, very cautious about having a critical spirit you may find yourself falling into the camp that Jesus himself is speaking about, the childish camp. They won't sing, nor will they cry. 
But they'll point out everything that's wrong with everybody while avoiding the Lord trying to speak to their heart. So go back to the initial uh, concept. If you were baptized by John the Baptist and you heard that he was doubting Jesus, I think you would go away encouraged after hearing the remarks of Jesus Christ. He's saying Jesus affirms John and Jesus rebukes the childish behavior of those who rejected him and John the Baptist. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And